0: I should have never said anything about the forecasters getting it wrong yesterday because I sure paid for it digging out all the snow they were right about this morning. Holy moly, did we get another snowstorm. It's today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura Johnston, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin to wrap up the week of news. And we had a bit of a blockbuster story, I'd say, dropped late last night that we will start with. Why is Bernie Moreno dropping out of the very crowded Republican primary for the U.S. Senate? Laura, he sent this note out probably around, what, 7.30, quarter of eight last night. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, he's not backing away from his fealty to Trump. I mean, he has pretty much tied up his whole person and given it to the former president. What's going on?
1: Basically, he said he doesn't think he can win and he doesn't want to hurt the Make America Great movement. So he met with President Trump on Thursday to discuss the state of the Ohio Senate race. He says he's a businessman, not a a politician, and he recognizes patterns before they happen. So he and Trump agreed the race has too many Trump candidates. It could cost the Trump movement its conservative seat. So he's gonna drop out and support whatever candidate is decided by Trump, I guess. Hmm.
0: Well, let, let let's point out to start that he never had any chance of winning this race. It was a delusion that he put himself into it. And we joked last week that he was celebrating that he was in third place, which was one of those like, wow, I'm a loser. I'm a loser kind of things. So, so him dropping out after having invested his own money and really after having gone back on some of the things he used to say he stood for like LGBTQ and things like that. I mean, I, there are people in town wondering who this guy is now. He's, Mm -hmm. he's a bit of a pariah. But what I'm fascinated by is the, the possible insight that that they're worried that because there's so many Trump candidates, that the Republicans in the party who despise what Trump has done to the party and there's no end of them. I and mean, there are a lot of conservatives in the country that hate what Donald Trump has done to the party. And they know he tried to overthrow the government and he probably should be charged with a the crime. There might be enough of them in a plurality. To get behind Matt Dolan, the only non-Trump candidate really running, and I, and that that's the worry. I mean, that's the fact that Bernie says, I talked to Trump and we agreed we need to do this, suggests to me that they're worried that, that Dolan might win. And they want anybody but Dolan because they want some Trump sycophant in the seat. What do you yeah, think? I-
1: I don't know that there's any other way to read this because it's, I mean, they're talking about the primary. This has nothing to do with Tim Ryan running against them and the, you know, actual general. And so basically, I mean, obviously we talked last week that he was like the RC Cola of the, (laughs) or or the bronze medalist. If we're going to go with an Olympic um, analogy today, but he's facing Jane Timken. He's facing Josh Mandel, who has the lead in every single one of those polls that the internal the internal polls that the candidates were boasting about how they were second and third in. So maybe he just realizes he can't beat Mandel. He hasn't thrown his weight behind any specific candidate right now. Obviously, we have Jane Timkin, Mike Gimmins, J.D. Vance, and then Matt Dolan. But I, I didn't really realize how seriously they were taking this challenge from Dolan. Maybe they have some more internal polling they're not showing us.
0: Well, I know a lot of people want Dolan because they cannot stand the Trump Factor And these guys, all these candidates have been gross and just taking everything they stand for and putting it into into trust with Trump. The the I wonder, though, you know, Trump Trump hates backing a loser. He's got that big fear of being branded a loser. He's such a nut job. And I wonder if rather than trying to guess who's going to win, because that's how he makes his endorsements, the strategy is to go to each candidate and say, get out. Maybe. So that there is only one Trump candidate left. I mean, if he went to Jane Timken and said, Jane, I love you, you know, you're, you've been a great supporter, but I'm not going to back you. Can you get out? And if he went to to others and did that, would it filter it down to where... There might only be one or two Trump
1: candidates. Well, that is a scary thought that he has that much weight. But you're right. I mean, I think if you went to Jane Timpkin, the way these are all sycophants that they are vying for his approval, I don't think they would say no to him. Because that's the whole point, right, that they're a Trump loyalist. So maybe that is what he's going to do. And that's not a happy thought.
0: Well, it's a happy thought if Dolan can win because, you know, God knows Ohio needs somebody who is loyal to the people that vote instead of this disgraced former president. But it's a fascinating sign. Yeah, If I
2: could jump in here, um, you know, and I I I am registered Democrat, if that's what you call it here in Ohio, but I'm considering crossing party lines in the primary to vote in the Republican primary for U.S. Senate just so I can give Dolan a bump. I wonder how many other Democrats, uh-huh. independents, whatever might do the same thing.
3: Hmm.
0: And maybe that's the internal polling. Maybe they're seeing that. I I mean, I have not heard that. We're just we're trying to read into this surprise announcement. He didn't just drop out saying, you know, I I salute somebody else. What's amazing is he didn't drop out and say, I support so and so. He said, I'm going to wait until Donald Trump tells me who I should support. It's like, right. what, Do you not have any free will? Do you well, not have any independent thought and judgment where you have to do what your Lord and master tells you to do?
1: And remember back a couple of years ago, Bernie Moreno was pushing this block land thing as the future of Cleveland and blockchain. And we had, conferences here and they were going to make city block out of tower city and i think people were really excited about his vision and now what's he got left like he's this guy who just followed trump around and spent all of his time and money in the last two years or year uh, trying to win a senate seat that he decided he couldn't win I, i don't i don't know what's next for him
0: yeah i don't either he might have to move out of the region we'll see it's today in ohio Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose says he has detected some cases of potential voter fraud in Ohio. We know that millions of ballots were cast. How many might be fraudulent, Lisa? Less than 100.
2: <laughs> Frank LaRose uh, <laughs> referred 62 possible cases for further investigation. Half of those, uh, they, people may have voted illegally, 27 of those back in the 2020 November election. Um, the other half were non-citizens registered to vote, but didn't cast a ballot. So like I said, those will be referred on for further investigation. There were 6 million votes cast in Ohio Last year, so these sixty-two possible cases of fraud are point zero 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 five percent of all the votes cast. So the way they found these, they had three different <laughs> ways. So yeah, pretty small, like like the head of a pin. Um, uh, they used three different methods to kind of find these. They cross-referenced uh, Bureau of Motor Vehicles records with voter registration. They found thirty-one non-citizens registered but didn't vote. Although some non-citizens did vote, um, cross-referencing also death records with the county voting records, and they found 14 possible do- votes from dead people. Um, they also found uh, people voting twice in different counties. There were about nine instances of those, all of them in the 2020 election. So yeah, the voter fraud, not a problem. But to give cred- LaRoe's credit, he has always stood by election integrity. I mean, he really, you know, you can talk about drop boxes and all of that, but I think at, at his heart he's really concerned about you know integrity of the election so yeah we'll see how many of these a lot of things we don't know how many of these do get referred for prosecution and how many actually have criminal charges so we'll see how that shakes out in previous uh you know voter fraud investigations a lot of the cases were cleared so
0: yeah the the reason this is important is because the former president has undermined American's belief in the election integrity by constantly saying the election was stolen from him and fraud is rampant. And, and the facts don't back that up at all. The, the election was as sound as could be. Every audit has shown that. So it's important to note that this is an infinitesimal number of voters, percentage of voters that might have done something wrong, that the system does work. And I, I just I wish that message could be spread far and wide. I mean, we talked about the Senate race at the top of the podcast and you've had people like Josh Mandel trying to make people question the integrity of elections. And the proof is right here. The elections are have integrity. It's always had integrity. It's one of the things Americans were always most proud of. And that's why it's so despicable that the leader of the country for four years has done everything he can to undermine confidence. in
2: them. And I think that LaRose also found you know, in previous investigations in this one, especially with non-citizens voting, there's really no malicious intent. They may have been misinformed. They may not have known that they couldn't vote or register. So, you know, if you, If you're looking for intent, that's probably even smaller than the fraud situation.
0: We've always been a beacon for the world in how we run elections, not in voter participation because so many people don't vote, but our election system is really quite good and, and has been forever. And so this is just proof. It's an important story. It's important to talk about because all the people that stand up and say the election was stolen from Donald Trump. No, it wasn't. It's simply not true. And our election system works. We should stop messing with it and taking away the right of the people to vote. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why did a U.S. senator from Arkansas block the appointment of a U.S. attorney in Cleveland this week. Layla, this is kind of ridiculous. We need a U.S. attorney. We got crimes happening (laughs) that need to be prosecuted. Why does some bozo in Arkansas try to stop
3: it? This is so ridiculous. Senator Tom Cotton is delaying a committee vote on the nomination of Marissa Darden to serve as U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Ohio and several other Justice Department nominees. And the reason for the holdup is because the Justice Department didn't respond quickly enough to a completely unrelated information request that Cotton made. Uh, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Dick Durbin said that Cotton had demanded a response to his letter related to an ongoing litigation matter within 24 hours, or he'd delay consideration of of several law enforcement nominees, including Darden. And according to Fox News, the letter that Cotton wrote to Attorney General Merrick Garland on January 31st Asked whether the Department of Justice is paying to defend deputy U.S. Marshals from frivolous lawsuits filed in the aftermath of their protection of the federal courthouse in Portland from rioters during the summer of 2020. So, yes, very germane topic to what's (laughs) to Northeast Ohio and our our nominee here. He set a February 1st deadline for a response and indeed threatened to vote against these nominations I mean, Durbin says members of the committee have the right to hold up a vote according to the rules, but doing that, on matters like this really hurts the public who need these law enforcement appointments. And the top Republican on the committee, Chuck Grassley from Iowa, turned that argument on its head and says, you know, it's the Justice Department that's hurting innocent people by failing to respond to senators' requests for information. It's the old, you know, the Justice Department made me do it excuse.
0: (laughs) You'd think Rob Portman, a fellow Republican, would speak up and say, hey, guys, you know, you want to try other methods, but don't screw with Ohio right now we're trying to get some stuff done yeah i mean it's just it's it's wrong to to play games with another state's stuff and and get in the way yeah, it's, so it's I hope... really
3: kind of kind of a hostage situation if you think about yeah,
0: it. it it's such childish nonsense yeah we'll see if they break the logjam. it's today in ohio The Republicans redrawing the gerrymandered congressional maps for Ohio surely will not adopt it. But how does the map drawn by good government groups break down the state? Laura, it was nice to see somebody come forward with a fair map because I don't think we're going to see it come out of the people who are charged with it.
1: No, absolutely. But this shows it can be done, and it's not difficult. And all the the fight that um, Bob Cup and Matt Huffman put up, saying this we cannot draw the district seat away. This is the best we can do. Like they're full of baloney, because the maps from Fair District Ohio, Fair Districts Ohio, would favor Republicans to win eight of Ohio's fifteen congressional districts. Obviously, that's slightly more than half, close to each party's share of the recent statewide vote, which fifty four percent to forty six percent Republicans, and Three of the map's Democratic-leading districts, one would combine Cleveland's west side suburbs with Lorraine County, one would anchor in Toledo, and one would anchor in Akron. They would be competitive, which means the Republicans could win as many as 11 seats, Democrats could win nine seats. But if you look at this map, it makes a lot of sense. There's no snake on the lake. There's no weird-looking claw kind of district. Like They're pretty blocky.
0: We do expect some news in the legislative redistricting today that there's a belief that the Supreme Court will rule today on the second round of gerrymandered maps that the Republicans produced. Uh, and see if they order them to come back with a third round. So we'll be talking about that on Monday if it indeed happens today.
1: So can I just say on the the congressional that the state legislature has until February 13th to come up with this map and then the authority shifts back to the Ohio Redistricting Commission and we all know how much they want to get this right.
0: (laughs) Well clearly I mean I thought they were going to try and do the right thing in the second round of the legislative but Mike DeWine and Frank. You gave them
1: too much credit, man.
0: Yeah, They really showed their true colors. They don't really care about the citizens at all. They care about party. It's party first people second, and they prove it every time. I think
1: it's party and then themselves, maybe. And
0: then people. (laughs) Yeah. It's today in Ohio. The Northeast Ohio real estate market has been going strong for a while now. So how much did home prices rise in Cuyahoga County for the full year of 2021? Lisa, these are big numbers. And I think for anybody that remembers what was happening around these parts in 2008 and 2009, it's even more surprising.
2: Right. And, you know, seeing median home prices have really made huge jumps in the last few years. In Cuyahoga County for 2021, we saw a 10.7% increase in home prices that jacked the median home price, which half sell above and half sell below that price to $155,000. That's up from 140000 the year before. Um, in suburban areas, uh, though, uh, we've seen a slightly smaller rise. In suburban areas, it's gone up 8.7% prices have to a median of $182,000. One $182, and um, single-family homes in Cleveland have gone up 28.2% to a median price of $72,500. That's up from 56500 So, And it's interesting. The biggest jump was in Orange. Orange is a fairly affluent suburb. Their uh, home prices jumped... Uh, 41.5% and the median in Orange now is $434,000. But the rest of the top 5 were actually smaller suburbs with some sub $100,000 median prices. Garfield Heights at number 2, they saw 31.5% increase to $94,000 median price. East Cleveland at number 4 jumped 30.6% to $22,000. So we're seeing a lot of movement in some of these, you know, I don't want to say cheaper, but more affordable suburbs. And the biggest median sales price is in Hunting Valley and Chagrin Falls Township. The median sales price there was $1.1 million. But then you have fewer sales in that yeah. area as well. So that's that's a little bit skewed. So yeah, I mean, you know, mortgage interest rates are starting to tick up. Inventory is still low. Sellers still have the upper hand. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in 2022
0: yeah and the last time we saw increases like this it was all part of a phony bubble because of the, the the fraud going on and the what became the foreclosure crisis but nobody's suggesting that now nobody's suggesting that this isn't real and and robust and part of the the thing is people working from home there's a lot of demand does anybody know somebody that's been looking to buy a house that that has is, is experiencing difficulty in finding something i remember laura when you were looking for your house whatever it was eight years ago, I mean, you, you you'd you see houses be listed and be sold in a day.
1: Well, I, I bought my house in a day. Yeah, it was almost six years ago now. And we bid on five houses before we got ours. And you were bidding over. I think that's happening. My brother's trying to buy a house in Columbus. And every time he's interested in anything, there's multiple offers. And they'll say, OK, here's the cutoff for the deadline of getting your offer. in, then we're going to pick the best. And they're going for thousands and thousands of dollars over and you know one thing about columbus is it's had a hot real estate market for a long time but now that that intel plant's coming in Mm. it's going to drive tons of real estate prices up higher so i don't think this is a bubble i think covid has made people really want to hunker down and like invest in their space
3: I, i i live in bay village and i know i know some families who who send basically love letters to homeowners Mm. (laughs) telling them, like, I love your house. And and uh, if you ever decide to sell, please (laughs) consider me. I mean, trying to get in on it before it actually hits the market. And, And it's like totally unsolicited and so bizarre. But but really, that's almost the way I mean, Laura, when you were when you were house hunting, Um, I remember you were looking at a house, uh, right around the corner from us. And and I remember you put a bid in and then you sent a letter to the homeowner and I remember reading it and it was like lovely.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) We love this house. We did not get that house. (laughs) You know what
3: though? I have heard one of our reporters who's, uh, new to Cleveland and was doing some apartment hunting, um, told me that there were bidding wars for apartments. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I've never heard of such a thing.
0: (laughs) Me neither. And that's why we keep seeing more developers buying buildings to convert them into apartments. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Lake Erie is too frozen over for much in the way of shipping now, but the Port of Cleveland saw a big jump in business in 2021 compared to 2020. Layla, well, I suspect part of this had to do with COVID crippling business in 2020, but what are the numbers?
3: Yeah, so despite the the supply chain issues that we continue to hear so much about, reporter Sean McDonald tells us that the port really got a lot of use last year. The Port of Cleveland on Thursday reported a 69% increase in tonnage across its docks compared to 2020, and the port said significant increases in goods both in and out of containers and iron ore shipments to the Cleveland Cliffs, Cleveland Works steel mill really drove that increase. So the general cargo terminal, which includes steel, containers, project cargo, salt, and cement – saw about 650,000 metric tons go across the docks, and that represents a 57% increase from 2020. That's the second highest total in a decade, slightly behind 2015 numbers. The bulk terminal where iron ore and limestone are delivered saw a 71% increase over 2020 with almost um, 7 million tons. The port said shipping container volume also doubled. So, you know, naturally, the port was very excited about this announcement, particularly as it relates to the growth of containerized cargo, because they've worked for years to position Cleveland as an alternative to the congested coastal ports, which have been backed up in the last year. And the Cleveland port is really the only one on the Great Lakes with container shipping. So good year for the port. Well, you got to
0: give a salute to Will Friedman, the guy who's been running it for whatever it is now, 10 or so years. That was his vision, and he really has brought it about. And those numbers make clear that something good is happening Mm -hmm. down there. It's a big boost for the economy. So good news story for the Cleveland economy. We don't often have those. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Skiers really don't seem to like out-of-state ski resort owners, it seems. Why are Northeast Ohio skiers, like Laura, upset with the Colorado (laughs) company that owns the local trails? Laura, let them have it.
1: I was gonna say, do you want me to just talk for the rest of this podcast? Because I can I can take it on. But uh, I don't I don't think it's that skiers don't like the out of town owners. Most of us were pretty psyched by the possibilities when Vale bought Boston Mills Brandywine and Alpine Valley three years ago. It's just that Vale is used to really big resorts like Breckenridge and, you know, Vale, and they don't seem to understand the best way to run a Northeast Ohio ski resort. So the biggest challenge this year has been staffing bail requires employees to be vaccinated and they pay 1125 an hour for a lift operator though at least they have added this $2 an hour bonus if you stick it through the end of the season but they don't have enough staff so they have incredibly limited hours there's only two days a week that you could ski during daylight basically and uh, the, the weekend hours are just daytime they they lost their popular night skiing for saturday nights so everybody's just smooshed into smaller hours. They're not opening every lift because they don't have the manpower. They haven't even opened their tubing hill yet at Brandywine, which is usually like a cash machine. And so there are just some really, really long lines so bad. And I was not there for this, but the ski, uh, the kids have ski school, like their school clubs go. And they had a three hour Mm. wait to get rental equipment, which is just insane the pictures people put on social media are like these wall-to-wall kids filling up the entire hallway and they were like it's a fire hazard so i, I think it's getting a little bit better but veil vale has been blasted over and over for basically the entire month of January, for basically the entire country, the way that they're managing their ski resorts, and I do not think they expect it. It's
0: got to be agonizing for you after the kind of storm we had for the past 36 <laughs> hours. I mean, I think down there they might have gotten as much as two feet. I heard in Hudson they had a couple of feet. We didn't get that much. Yeah, right now conditions. there's
1: no ski. You cannot go skiing this right now in Northeast Ohio. You can ski at four. They're going to open the, the hills at four, but I think it's ridiculous, and this is the first time in my memory, and i've been skiing there since i was eight that we have ever dealt with anything like this and i know the staff you know it's easy to say staffing shortages but i think there's a really simple solution to a staffing shortage and cedar point had it pay them 20 dollars an hour (laughs) they got enough people
0: all right you're listening to outrage on today (laughs) in ohio What's a sports book, and why is the owner of the downtown Cleveland Casino preparing to open two of them as Ohio prepares for legalized sports betting? Lisa, I, I, the sports book Tom, terminology seems odd.
2: Yeah, I had to, like, look it up, actually. But a sports book is is a facility. So it's a brick-and-mortar place where people can place wagers on sports, politics, whatever, the, you know, the sports book you know has bets for. So, um Jack Entertainment, uh, which owns ThistleDown Racino in Northfield and also the Jack Casino downtown, they're planning on having a sports book at both of those locations in addition to online and mobile platforms. Um uh, Adam Suleiman, who is the vice president of sports and digital gaming at Jack Entertainment, says they're envisioning Vegas style facilities, very fancy with wall to wall screens, lounge chairs, maybe free booze and other amenities, Um, but they they are getting in line because applications are not open yet for this. We really don't have a date when they'll be starting taking uh, applications for these licenses. Sports wagers were made legal in December and the state has until January 1st of 2023 to get the enterprise up and running so that uh, Jack Entertainment and others have plenty of time to get their act together. There will be 25 class A licensings for mobile and online betting. There will be 40 physical locations uh the 40 class b licenses which are for physical locations like sports books this is ohio wide not just in northeast ohio and then there will be an unlimited number of class c licenses that allow betting kiosks and bars and any other place that has a liquor permit um but for the class a and b licenses the oh the oh the 11 casinos and racinos in Ohio and eight Ohio sports teams will get preferences for these class a and B licenses. So yeah, they're, they're getting ready. And even uh, Jack is saying, well, we want to have a website and app under our banner. And then they they want to launch a free to play version of their sports betting app, kind of a training camp to get people ready for when it, when it becomes, you know, uh, up and running.
0: Yeah, it's, it's taking them too long. I can't believe we have to wait till next year. But we'll see if they speed it up a little to get some of that money flowing. It's today in Ohio. Is Cedar Point going to become part of the SeaWorld empire? Leila, I give you this question because you talked earlier this year <laughs> that every time you walk through the oh, gate, yeah. you remember it like you're a kid. I which love I'm...
3: Cedar Point. I do. <laughs> I don't want it to end up in, in you know, mismanaged or anything like that. So yeah, so the story here is that SeaWorld Entertainment reportedly has offered an unsolicited 3.4 billion dollar bid to take over Cedar Fair, the the company that owns Cedar Point in Kings Island in Cincinnati. Interestingly, just a couple years ago, Cedar Fair rejected a 4 billion dollar offer from rival Six Flags because it was too low. Cedar Fair issued a statement saying that it's going to review this SeaWorld proposal and decide what's in the best interest of the company and stakeholders and what have you. But the news this week prompted a 13 percent spike in the value of Cedar Fair shares. Dennis Spiegel, who's the founder of International Theme Park Services in Cincinnati, told Susan Glazer that SeaWorld's offer is probably too low. I mean, that kind of seems like it makes sense given that they rejected a a higher offer. Um, You know, of course, the shamu in the room here <laughs> is the <laughs> fact that yeah. SeaWorld is kind of a controversial company. I mean, they've they've had a lot of turnover at the top, and they've they've had to defend themselves for years over the controversy surrounding the treatment of the animals and their care. I mean, what was the name of the sh- the, the documentary? Is it was it Blackfish or what was the
1: Blackfin? <laughs> no, Blackfin, a bunch I think. Of, yeah, Not a bunch a fish, of fish. So I think it was Blackfin. But yes, I think it free freewheeling hel- helped people get outraged about yeah. shampoo Yeah,
0: right. Of course, SeaWorld doesn't have rides where big sh- pieces of metal go in and slam into people's heads. Well, come so there's on, been some controversy that's, yeah, on I both know. sides. I know. I
3: mean, well, I mean, come on. That's the freakish, most
1: freakish thing I've ever heard of. The thing, the thing is, Layla, talking about Cedar Point at childhood, like I didn't go there till I was in high school, but I went to SeaWorld almost every year when it was back in Aurora. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I have like fond memories of that. And you're like, well, at least there were some ties to Northeast Ohio. Yeah.
3: I mean, point. I have fond memories of SeaWorld too, as a child. And I mean, I loved those shows where, you know, the 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 trainer would jump off the nose of the the killer whale and I mean that was amazing to me but you know then you see the documentary
1: and you're like oh right. man but they did have water skiers and <laughs> oh, divers that was at SeaWorld cool too. too those people probably weren't mistreated
3: <laughs> I know there were a, there were a lot of great shows at SeaWorld but but you know I don't know I really do believe like like you know like I said in the past like I do have that super nostalgic I think C- Cedar Point for me you know evokes that feeling of nostalgia more than almost anything else and oh, wow. and i think that that the Cedar Point has become so pristine,ly clean and well managed since the mm-hmm. '80s when we were kids. I mean, it's like you can't find a scrap of trash anywhere in the place. They always do the landscaping just beautifully. I walk sometimes. I just snap pictures of the landscaping and try to use it as inspiration for my own yard. I'm like, man. I mean, because you have all that time waiting in lines that you can just sort of look you around. Have plenty of time to wait. In I know. Well,
0: listen to the passion in Layla's voice for the music. Well, you know, I'm saying
3: that now, but then, like, fast forward to the summer when I'm screaming at my kids and the hot sun. And And you're sweating, (laughs) sweating, you're laying on
1: hot black
3: somebody, Give me some water. Yeah, yeah.
0: I think thinking about being hot and sweating is probably the right (laughs) image for today if you're out dumping snow off your drive. It's today in Ohio, and that wraps us up for the week. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens. And we will be back Monday with another roundup of the news.